everyone. You're listening to Little Bit of Life Podcast with Little. This podcast is dedicated to having the real, raw, and the occasional ridiculous chats about everything that we seem to think but don't say. Very little is off limits. Sit back, enjoy, and let's get started. Today's episode is sponsored by Reps for Vets Apparel. They are a veteran-owned and operated apparel company, and they have given us a code R4V10 for 10% off. Make sure to check them out at repsforvets22.com. Trigger warning, today's episode does consist of stories in regards to mental health, PTSD, and suicide. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Little Bit of Life podcast with Little. As discussed in quite a few of my episodes, the month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and today we have a very special guest. It's very close to my heart. His name is Craig, and we're going to be talking about PTSD, the military, coming home, life in general. So Craig, welcome. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I had my uh, power go out thanks to a nice semi crashing on my freeway. So uh, I'm starting my day off great and life is half full. So you got to go with what you got. That makes plenty of sense. <laughs> so as we're, as I stated in the entry um, and in the intro as well, we are talking about something that is extremely vulnerable, an extremely kind of touchy subject that not a lot of people like to talk about in the civilian world with PTSD, but let alone in the veteran community. So thank you for coming on. Share a little bit about what branch you were in, places you've been deployed, kind of a little bit about your story. Well, um, I was in the Army. Uh, I joined uh, as a junior in high school. Uh, went to boot camp in between my junior and senior year. When I graduated high school, I went to my school training for the military. I was uh, air defense artillery, airborne. Um, everything was good until 9-11, and that's when uh, my career kind of took a, a, a sharp right. Um after 9-11, I was on a rapid response deployment to Afghanistan, um, and then I was sent, I, when I came back, I was sent to Iraq twice, so uh, I left after my second deployment to Iraq. How long were each of your deployments for? My Afghanistan deployment in total was eight months, um, my first uh, Iraqi deployment was four, 14 months. And then my last one was 26 months. So in the veteran community, there is such a stigma, so to speak about PTSD and just about mental health in general. Um, especially I have family that was in the military and I was always raised that it was just something you don't talk about. Um, a lot of times you're trained to be brave. You're trained to stay in this mentality of you don't bother people with speaking about your feelings or what you see as a problem. Um, 
And I feel like with mental health awareness kind of coming more into being acceptable, um, I feel like it's kind of something that still is kind of shunned upon, especially with the veteran community, because you're trained in this in this mind frame of not to show weakness, not to talk about your feelings or emotions. So have you kind of gone through that battle and and struggle with yourself? Absolutely. Um, I I left one person and came back someone completely different. Um, the hardest deployment was my last one. Um, it, it, it changed who, who I am all the way from the, my very ground of who I was before I left. Um, I was trained that, you know, you, you, you do what you're told and you shut your mouth. And if you have a hard time doing something, you suck it up and drive on. So it's kind of an ingrained uh, attribute to to who we are as military that uh, you you need to just not complain and just get it done. And uh, if you have any issues with it, you know, you can take it up with yourself pretty much. I think when we talk about and we associate um, what are PTSD symptoms, um, I think the actual phrase or the term PTSD is now thrown out there so so drastically and so quickly, um, both with civilian life as well as with veterans. And there's been a lot of studies in regards to what PTSD so-called symptoms are and getting that diagnosis, which sometimes is really hard to get. Um, so when we're talking about symptoms, um, it's basically all of the all of the symptoms that we find in civilian life for veterans to not be adaptive. So when you come home, um, it's completely different. And those are critical symptoms such as hypervigilance. So you're always on guard and not feeling safe, so to speak. In civilian life, that's considered not acceptable. That's considered once you come home, you should find you know your new normalcy. But you're engraved in that mm-hmm. training, especially when you know you're you're overseas and you're you know, in that deployment over there, so to speak, those kind of critical symptoms save your life. And they're really important to kind of numb your feelings and always be on guard and just kind of always kind of be in that sense of state where I'm not safe because it saves your life. Have you kind of had this, this struggle and this pull coming home of like finding what a new normal type of feeling is? Absolutely. Um, I have issues where uh, if it, I have a hard time accepting the unknown. So for instance, if we were to go to, if I was to go into public and, and there would be like a, a parade or a, a fair or something where I would take my children in, into public, um, I'm constantly on guard, constantly keeping my head on a swivel per se. Um, to look for what's not right. Um, I am uh, always, if, if, if something, if I'm going somewhere, I don't know, uh, it makes my anxiety go through the roof. Um, I don't do good with crowds, uh, restaurants. I have to sit facing so I can see all the doors. Nobody can walk behind me. Um, I mean, all the way down to when, when I got back from Iraq this last time, uh, I remember flying into the airport and going to the hotel and then getting into the bed and immediately thinking something's not right. 
The ground's not shaking. Um, I don't hear, you know, uh, the sounds of gunfire, the sounds of explosions. Um, and, and I was not comfortable in a bed that I hadn't been in in, in forever. Uh, so I ended up on the floor next to the bed um, because it gave me a sense of safety that um, if someone was to just pop in, they couldn't see me because I was on the floor next to the bed, if that makes sense. I get the, the uh, and it, 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 it's progressively, it gets progressively worse as time goes on in a sense that, you know, I, I have a real problem interacting with people who don't understand the, understand the, 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 the real, what really happened. Uh, for instance, uh, I can be somewhere and hear somebody saying, oh, well, my life's just terrible. Um, my life, you know, it's so bad. And I just want to say, you don't understand what bad is. You don't understand how good you really have it. Uh, we were in a, uh, one of Saddam's palaces and, um, it overlooked a village from one of his terraces and there was a pond and in these, uh, communities they had, uh, shared for lack of a better way of saying it, bathhouses, um, sort of like a campground. Um, so everybody in that particular village or neighborhood would use that bathhouse um it the it had uh plumbing running out the back of the building into this pond um there were no toilets there were just holes in the floor um and you know you look at the back of that bathhouse and then you look you know a hundred yards up up the bank and you see kids playing in this water and then you know you go on down further and you see people washing their clothes in it so, so for me, it was a humongous wake-up call as to how how good we really have it. So, so uh, to hear people uh, talk about, you know, oh, they're, my life is shit. You know, I, I just wish that you know this didn't happen or that didn't happen. I, it just makes me want to choke them. It, it instantly makes me angry. So I, I just, I don't know. Um, that was one of the ways that, that it really changed me. My, my, uh, my outlook on, on, on how good life really is and how sheltered we really are as a society. And then, uh, you know, if I, if I was to say anything about it, I get looked at like I'm a clown, uh, quote unquote, you know, uh, per se, not necessarily a clown, but, uh, People look at you, they don't, what people don't understand that question, if that makes sense. So, so, um, not only am I having to deal with flashbacks of, and, and deal with what I've done over, what I actually had to do over there, I'm having to deal with, I'm coming back into a situation where, um, I don't want to call people idiots, but, you know, I get asked dumb questions. A lot of dumb questions, um, insensitive questions that if they really, if people would really stop and think, uh, about what they're saying, they wouldn't, they would never ask.
So when those kind of things happen and you're kind of forced to be in those scenarios, do you find that just out of frustration or just lack of a better word, knowledge of people actually trying to understand what you've been through, do you feel like that that's kind of caused you to just completely isolate and avoid those situations to to speak to people or talk to people or sometimes, especially with, you know, the veterans coming home, sometimes often it's, it's your own family that doesn't understand what you've been through. Absolutely. Um, It's, it's created a huge void in my social, um, my social life in a sense that uh, I close, I've, I've basically uh, secluded myself from everyone. There's one person, um, that I physically hang out with um, in, in the County that I live in. Um, And he, he served too. So he understands and he's helped me out a lot. I mean, uh, because it would be, it would, you know, the frustration from what I've been through has, has driven me into uh, a depression that, that is, uh, that's unreal. I mean, it's, it's unreal. I mean, uh, I, I get tired of, it's almost like Groundhog's Day, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, constantly dealing with the same thing over and over and over and over. So yes, I, I, I seclude myself from, from as many situations as possible. Where, as before, uh, if, you know, my, my kids would want to go to, uh, amusement park, let's say, uh, I would be all about it. You know, let's go. Uh, now if I'm going to put myself in that situation, I have to have somebody that I know on my left, somebody I know on my right, somebody in front of me and somebody behind me. So that way I can feel almost like we're walk like, like, (laughs) like we're on patrol, quote unquote. Um, I've got all of their eyes as well as mine and I don't have to worry about someone I don't know uh, getting in, in my personal space. The struggle is real. I think when a lot of people in society hear the stories and a lot of times the stories that we receive from the men and women like yourself that have been through this, we're only receiving maybe a two or 3% full adaption of the story because one, it's extremely terrible for you guys to relive and experience because a lot of times with PTSD, you're already reliving it on your own solo. You're already having those flashbacks, constant, the nightmares, um, the emotional struggle, you know, the struggles of anger, then turning into where do you fit in life? Who are you now? Um, so I think a lot of times when we have these experience shared with us, which is why I'm so grateful you're on here today and talking about it. It's always almost this just disrespectful sense of disregard in our minds a lot of times of, well, just go to the VA. That's what they're there for, and they'll help you. (laughs) So, and with your reaction, um, diving into kind of that really touchy topic of, for those who don't understand the magnitude of the VA and how busy they are and just destructive that a lot of times the wait times and the therapy sessions and the disappointment and the struggles. So what has been your experience for yourself with the VA that's supposedly there to help you? Well, I'll put it this way. 
since 2006, I've been fighting the VA for disability and I still have not gotten it. They acknowledge that I have PTSD and that I have anxiety issues and that I've developed all these uh, issues that come along with that. But they don't believe that it's service related, which is for the life of me, I don't understand. Um, to start with, they denied they 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 denied me. And they said I didn't have PTSD at all. So I went through uh, the DAV, had someone that that helped that could help me, and I got diagnosed outside of the VA uh, with my PTSD. And then I took that information into the VA, and they were like, "Oh, well, yeah, okay, so you got it, but it's not service related." It has nothing to do with the fact that, you know, you went overseas and you had to shoot a, a 12, 13, 14-year-old kid in the head. Uh, and and it has nothing to do with the fact that you were uh, taking POW uh, for for a couple of weeks. It has nothing to do with that. Uh, it, it's almost like that you, you're, you're fine. You're home. You're safe. You know? So why do you why are you complaining? It's almost like they 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 just want to deny 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 and hope you go away. Oh, but but you know if you need anything, please reach out. And then you wait for months and months at a time and no responses and calling Absolute, hotlines. Absolutely. That's just a busy signal. And then once you wait for hours, you di- you get disconnected. So there's always that frustration of. That's absolutely. Do I matter? Actually, I I have people that I served with, uh, one in particular that's been on my mind a lot lately, um, that was actually feeling like he was a danger to himself. And not only did he call, but he showed up and he said, Hey, look, I need to talk to somebody. I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm, I'm safe. I don't feel safe around myself. I feel like I'm going to do something. And they said, uh, oh, we're, well, we're busy. We can't get you in until next week. And he went into the parking lot and shot himself. On a lot of my podcasts and a lot of the topics that we talk about, I always provide phone numbers, companies, hotlines. And on this one, I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to provide that because especially with your situation and meeting you and things that we've been through, um, I don't feel it would be beneficial to my listeners to say, Hey, there's this hotline because all of you in this community are smart and you're all able to access every hotline and every phone number possible. But if the other person on the other side of that line is not compassionate and and you feel you don't have room, the hotline number is just another number that's in your phone. And a lot of times for veterans to reach out and say, Hey, I I feel this way. Hey, I'm having an issue. Hey, I I feel I'm, I'm a danger to myself. There's no help that's just immediate of, hey, you matter, talk to me. And I think that's really crucial because we've all become kind of accustomed to this saying of, you know, 22 a day. And I think it's been engraved in our brains that we just see it as just another slogan. And these are lives and these are people that really matter and just need somebody not only to hear them, but to listen. And those are two completely different things. Not only that, but the real number is not 22. Uh, the real numbers, I think, somewhere in the 40s um, now or, or even the 50s. But the other issue with picking up the phone and calling someone you don't know uh, is someone 
in my position, we have a lot of trust issues. So why would we want to pick up the phone and call someone we don't know who's reading from a card? I'll go a little bit further into that uh, and, and tell you that, you know, our relationship, mine and yours, uh, got where it was purely by accident on my end. I was one of those that was ready to end it. I was truly done. I have a service dog uh, that goes everywhere with me. And uh, I walked away from him. I got in my truck. I drove down the road. I just happened to be on TikTok. And I don't know why, but I sent you a message. Um, and put my phone down and went into the woods to end it. I left a note in my truck that said, if you find this truck, just tow it. I'm I'm done. I was done. I'm lucky enough that my neighbor at the time saw my truck, stopped, picked up my phone, I guess, and then messaged you. Um, and, you know, and they called the, the police and whatnot. And I even tried suicide by cop. But because the particular person that I know in the county that I hang out with is is you know, who he is in the sheriff's department. They didn't shoot me. And you've been there ever since. And I appreciate that. Well, like I've said, you're stuck. You're stuck with me. Unfortunately, it's unfortunate for you. but You're stuck with me. And for, um, I don't know if it's an unfortunate <laughs> for, uh, for listeners, I think on the civilian side, it's always this feeling of, do I know this person well enough? Am I able to help them? And I learned in that moment, a lot about myself because like he said, we communicated via TikTok. I'm a huge veteran supporter on my platform. Um, and I actually remember that day I was on live and I was just randomly talking, you know, about who knows what. And, um, this neighbor did come into the live and interrupt and just said, Hey, have you heard from Craig? And it's like one of those life moments where like your stomach just sinks to your feet and you just, you just know instinctively something's wrong. Something's not right here. And I remember in that moment of almost like a fight or flight just for myself of end the live, figure out what's going on. And we live on complete opposite sides of the country. So it wasn't like I could just jump in my car and show up. Um, and making kind of that phone call to the neighbor. I mean, I'm kind of sassy and stubborn. And I was, I said, you're not messaging me. You're calling me and you better call like ASAP or I will find you too. <laughs> and, uh, this neighbor of his called. And I remember just asking those questions and, you know, adrenaline running of where's the truck, where's the keys. And he's like, there's a note. And it was that trigger moment of he left the dog. And that's when I knew like, this is it. And obviously, without going into full detail, um, I stayed on the phone because I'm super stubborn and I wasn't going to sit and wait by my phone for a text or a call. Um, I think I probably every officer in your county probably knows my name by now because I was past the phone screaming and yelling of take the dog, do this, do that. And I was almost in this like defensive mode. And you and I have never met in person. We've had conversations Not and. So it's that moment of realizing the difference between right and wrong. And it's the difference between hearing someone and listening to someone. 
So when you get their story or you hear their struggles in that moment, you know exactly something's not right. And you can kind of step in that role of, hey, I'm 3,000 miles away, but this is what needs to be done for this person because they're my friend. And hearing everything on the phone that it was afternoon and evening for me, but hearing everything and hearing, you know, the cops and the yelling and, you know, kind of just hearing it through the speaker. And I'm like, I can't visually see what's going on. It also... Did you hear gunfire? Mm-hmm. I did. You did hear. Yeah. I did. Um, hearing that, I come from a military family, a law enforcement family, and there's nothing worse than hearing that on the other side of a phone when you don't know what is going on. You don't know the narrative of what's going on on the other side of the phone. I screamed and yelled, like I said, at every officer. I heard officers yelling and screaming at you on the phone, um, through the phone, better yet. And um, they even had your service dog in the back of a car and said they were going to take him. Yeah, they brought him into me. Um, well, they didn't quite get close enough to me. They, they, um, I, I knew that I wouldn't be able to do it uh, if anybody that I cared about saw me and that includes the dog that includes my service dog uh, my service dog's like a child to me and and so i couldn't do it in front of him so they brought him in and uh probably i was in a barn about 300 yards from me and uh i heard one of them say his name and i immediately was just like fuck this this is i'm not gonna be able to do this for myself so I kicked the door open and he saw me and, and just like Fred Flintstone, Dino jumped all over me and kind of just looked at me like, what are you, re- what are you doing? Why, why, what are you, what are you doing? And so I was like, well, if you can't do it yourself, maybe you can make them do it to you. And so I immediately just started shooting at the ground 20 or 30 feet in front of them. And I'm, I'm all I can say is, you know, I'm meant for something else, according to my therapist, um, because they didn't shoot me. And in any other situation, if you point a gun at a police officer, they're, they're going to shoot you. So I'm, I'm blessed in the sense that, you know, we, we have people that not just, not just that you can talk to, uh, but that really care. And, and, um, you were just one of those people, uh, who I didn't know whether or not I could trust, um, until that day. So, I mean, my therapist has told me that, you know, as much of my story as I can, I can tell, um, would be beneficial for my healing. I've been with this therapist for 16 months. They are not a VA therapist. Did you choose for it not to be a VA therapist just based on your history? Okay. I did. Uh, I chose therapist not to be a VA therapist because the therapist at the VA will listen to you and they want to medicate you. But then when it comes to advocating for you, it's out the window. Uh, they, they just want to, um, 
do whatever they have to do to try and make you believe that maybe it's not what you think it is. Uh, so you don't come after them for really what it comes down to is money. And my situation when when I was recovered uh, went from our, in Iraq from my me, me being taken prisoner, um, they sent me to Launchstool, Germany. And I had a Fulberg colonel walk in the door I'd never seen before in my life tell me, hey, listen, you're going to have a mental assessment done before we can either send you home or send you back or whatever they're going to do. Um, you absolutely need to tell her you're okay. Uh, because if not, then there's a high probability that you're going to be put out. And he made it sound like I'd be put out on a, uh, a discharge that would be unfavorable for me. So, this here's this high ranking officer coming in and telling me this and they send in a psychi a psychologist and she's asking me all these questions. Do you feel like you're going to hurt yourself or someone else or, you know, the, the, the rundown and, and I'm just, I don't know who this person is. I've been warned that I just need to say everything's okay. So I was like, yep, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Boom. They stamp my medical records serviceable. So, even after that, they sent me back into theater. They sent me back to Iraq instead of home. So the fight I'm having is that report in my my medical jacket that says, even though I, I went through that, that I was serviceable, that I was good. So how in the world could you not be good if a medical professional says you are good? And we wonder why people have trust issues and not only that, but they don't want to talk. And we, and, and we wonder, and that's that's a prime example right there of this is what you're told to do. This is what you will say. And then you will go back and continue on with what you were trained to do. Yeah. Um, and one of my, uh, I don't know how deep you want to go, but one of my um, biggest things that I fight uh, is, uh, when I have flashbacks, it's of, of this particular incident where I was running a, a checkpoint. And first of all, the, 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 the views over there in that society are completely different in a sense that, uh, women and children are viewed differently, uh, almost as in an inferior, uh, sex or, um, you know, they, they serve different purposes, if that makes sense. So, um, we were, we were, I was running this checkpoint and a car stopped, uh, about 150 yards, 200 yards away. And this kid got out and he's running at the checkpoint. And all of a sudden you see a male figure jump out and he's holding something in his hand. And at the time I didn't know what it was. All I was doing was screaming at the kid to stop. Stop, 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 you know, um, and in, in those types of situations, you never know what you're going to do. It's a fight or flight type situation. Um, I was not the only one working this checkpoint. There were three of us and I turn around and they're all hiding behind a concrete barrier and the kid gets, I don't know, uh, you know, 75 yards from me and he opens the shirt and he's strapped. He's strapped with explosives. And 
at that point I realized, you know, this man that's standing back at the car, whom I'm assuming is his father, uh, it has a remote detonator and he's going to blow up. He's going to blow it up. He's going to blow up his own kid to get to us. Um, so it was a situation where I had to do it. Well, um, there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about that kid. I ended his life to, to save mine, but I look at my kids and I see him. Does that make sense? Because I don't understand. Even to this moment, I don't understand how you could do that to one of your kids. Um, and I'm not talking about ending his life. That's I'm talking about how, how, you know, their belief system is that, you know, yes, you, you know, you're going to die in the name of whatever. And it's a good thing. But to me, I associate it with what I did, what I had to do. I associate it with taking my kids' lives. It's not fair. Um, so yeah, I'm haunted by that daily. And that is, you know, compounded with the the questions that, that are asked uh, by people who really don't know. And, you know, I get it. It's coming from a place of uh, wanting to know. Uh, but, you know, if they really thought, sat and thought about it, uh, it's really insensitive, some of the questions they ask. It just makes my, it makes me constantly look for a way out, constantly look for a way. I, I, you know, I, I liken it to almost a a celebrity, how everybody chases celebrities around and all they want to do is just be left alone. I'm not afraid to, to die. I'm afraid to live. If that makes sense. Uh, because I never know what I'm going to run into. I never know if I'm going to run into somebody who might say, oh, well, how many people did you kill over there? How insensitive is that? And it's amazing I mean, how how often that question comes up. It's just this automatic, like you, I've never heard that relation. And it, it's true of almost like a celebrity status. And there's no emotion. There's no compassion. There's no sensitivity on the other end of the questions that you're asked. At all. All they want to know, it, it, you know, you killed somebody and got away with it. You, you know, that's a good thing. They look at, you know, because... Are, are, you know, I don't know, but all it does is it, it brings back to my right in front of my face, everything that I did over there. And I, I'm, I'm running from it constantly mentally running from it. So being that you're speaking to a therapist and it's one that you chose, which I think is really brave and really important that to kind of instill and get this out to the listeners that may be struggling with this, that you have a choice. It's your healing process. It's your journey and it's your comfortability. And no matter what the VA pushes on you, family pushes on you, at the end of the day, it's your choice. It's your decision. With seeing a therapist and going through this, um, do you feel that it's helping you? Do you feel kind of it's one day might be a couple steps forward, the next day, a couple steps back? Or do you just kind of honestly, do you just feel like it's just part of the process of something that you feel that you have to do? I would I would say that, you know, first of all, the therapist situation, I live more than 50 miles from a VA. So because I live so far away, they actually will pay for a civilian therapist. That's how I discovered this. So I picked my therapist and then I sat on the on in the chair in her room and basically um, 
was was very uh, very scra- barely scratching the surface type situation for probably six months until I knew that I could trust her. Um, she would ask me a question. It was a very short short answer. Um, it you know the trust had to be earned, and and yes, you're you're correct by saying that they it is very much your choice. You don't have to accept the the what they tell you just because they told you that. And believe it or not, I don't know if anybody needs to hear this. I needed to hear it. The medical records you get from a private doctor, they have to accept it. They're still a doctor. The VA will review those records. Mm -hmm. So in my instance, yes, I don't have any VA disability at the moment, but I know one day it's going to happen because I'm not going away. So was there like a a moment or an, a situation that pushed you? And I don't even like the word pushed because you went on your own and you found this and you've done the research and you've done the work, which is so commendable, even starting the process. Was there a moment where you were ready um, after years and years of, you know, kind of dealing with your own demons, so to speak for any listeners, like, did you personally have a moment where you're like, I'm ready or I need to talk to somebody or was it just kind of a buildup? No, what ended up happening was it was a relationship. Um, my marriage, uh, it was, it came to the point where, you know, with PTSD, um, I was constantly denying that I needed it. I could beat it myself. I don't need medication. I don't need to talk to anybody else. I got this. And the relationship suffered. And finally, I was like, you know what? If it's going to shut you up, I'm going to go do it. So that's what drove me to the to the to talking to somebody. Do you think without it and without kind of that push, do you think you would be where you are today? I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would have ended it because it is. It's terrible. Uh, to just be stuck in a cycle of rem- of remembering things that. I mean, for somebody, I guess, that doesn't have a conscience. You know, I I can't speak for that, but in my particular instance, um, I have to confront this daily and I have to force myself to step through it. So yeah, no, I was done a long time ago. If, if I didn't have anybody to talk to, um, if I didn't accept the fact that I needed to be medicated, um, I, I, I know for a fact I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be here. So what I would have to say to anyone that's going through this right now, uh, even though you feel like you can beat it, you can't. You can't. When you went to, let's kind of go with you in this experience, when you went to your first therapy appointment, what went through your mind in that moment? Because I I think for a lot of listeners who have not struggled. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. Yeah. For going through mental health, I think it's really hard. The acceptance portion with yourself is the hardest part. And with that comes fear. And like you just said, embarrassment, how did your first visit go? Um, it was very, uh, I sat in the room. Um, 
we kind of went over intake paperwork and she told me what she expected of me and uh, asked me, you know, how I felt about that. And I told her where I was at, um, which was very closed off. And I was, you know, lucky enough to find a therapist that was like, okay, well, we can talk about whatever until you're comfortable. Um, with the VA therapist, it was a very separate situation. Uh, the first thing they did was, oh, okay, so you feel like you have PTSD. Let me run this assessment. And they, they did a PTSD assessment on me. Um, it was very, uh, it was almost like I was being dictated to, um, very structured, um, in a sense that I was back in, you're going to say this when I tell you to say this. Uh, if I don't ask you a question, don't volunteer any information. So, um, is it, and what I what I feel like now is it was very much a way to protect the VA um, against anything that I might say, like try and make a claim. So you know, it, in my particular instance, everybody's different, but in my particular instance, uh, the the private sector uh, has helped me a ton. I really appreciate you kind of walking us through that first therapy session, because I think a lot of the, a lot of the fear behind even talking to somebody is like you said, the judgment, what are they going to think if I share too much? Am I, am I judged? If I share too little, am I judged? And so I think the fear, even in civilian life or veterans or, or either spectrum, it's this fear of the unknown of that first appointment. And I think it's really crucial well, just, to know, like, hey, it's okay if you step out. If you don't like the first person you meet, it doesn't mean you're stuck with them, like the VA. Keep, yeah. keep continuing to push for your own mental health because it's always your choice. That's right. And it's it's uh, something that I've, I've come to accept is that it's, uh, you know, everybody says that suicide is selfish. Um, but I never really understood what that meant because all I kept thinking was, you know, so you just want people just want you to live with this. Um, what it is, is that there there really are people that care about you and you have to think about what you're leaving behind. You have to think about um, what it's going to be like for the people who really do care about you after you're gone. You have to learn to love yourself again, if that makes sense. Uh, because I didn't for a long time. I hated everything about my life. So, you know, don't be afraid to step out. Don't be afraid to talk. They're not going to get put you on a 72-hour hold. I used to be so afraid if I went in there and told them some of the things that I was thinking that they were going to commit me for a 72-hour mental evaluation or whatever the case may have been. But even in that case, if you are seriously thinking about doing something yourself, uh, find somebody that you care about and say it. And don't worry about being embarrassed by it because they care about you. Um, I'm not saying not to call 1-800 numbers. I'm not. Uh, but someone in my situation, it's uh, it's just very hard to do that. So there has to be something, there has to be a way. And you can't ignore it. 
So coming home and kind of dealing with all of this and like we always say, finding your new normal because who you were before you left and then who you are when you come home is two completely different people. You're dealing with the physical aspect, the emotional, and it's it's your nervous system that basically when you come home, it's a new borderline and it's something that it's sometimes a lot of people come home and they have a great support system. And then sometimes there's others that come home and they don't have any support system. So when you came home, how would you say that your healing process has been with the type of support system that you either had, or maybe it's changed through this process? Do you have a good support system? Did you have one when you came home? Has it changed through your healing process? I did not have the support system I thought I had. Let me put it like that. And it's not because they didn't want to be a support system. It's because they couldn't handle it. To a certain point, I was I didn't want to divulge a lot of information. And um, when I did start talking, it you could tell quickly it became an overwhelming thing to them. So I did not. I don't think anybody can be prepared for something in that situation. So it was almost like I was uh, floating in limbo. You're not going to sit down and tell your children what you went through. You're not, you know... I'm not going to sit and, and, and tell my mother uh, everything that I went through because uh, I don't need my mother panicking and thinking that I'm going to do something stupid constantly and checking on me every five seconds. So it's almost one of those situations where, well, I, I don't care to say it. I've been divorced three times because they, someone who is in a relationship with, with this uh in this type of situation, it takes someone really strong. We're not easy to deal with, especially when they're not, you're not being medicated or being seen by somebody or talk to, talking to anybody. A lot of times the, the veteran will, will turn to alcoholism or uh, some sort of addiction to forget about it, to try and numb it. And that's not, that's not the way to go. With talking kind of about like medications and, you know, medicated, um, and we have an upcoming episode uh, with a friend of mine that we're talking about how big pharmaceutical companies are kind of prospering on people's well-being and almost to where you feel like a guinea pig, you feel like a pin cushion, you feel like, oh, you feel this, try this. It didn't work. Give it more time. Instead of us knowing as human beings, we know our bodies, we know how our brains are working, we know how our emotions are and our feelings. So from a veteran community side, like viewpoint, have you struggled with that of like, I'm literally masking my feelings, I'm masking and numbing everything by taking a pill that makes me go from this type of a person now to this type of a person with side effects and all kinds of stuff that the big pharmaceutical stuff yeah. comes with. I don't know. I've been on so many medications. It's ridiculous. Um, they've thrown meds at me. Uh, and, and it was exactly what you said here, try this and we'll see what this does. And it was, you know, and then it didn't work, but it was a controlled substance. So we need to, uh, we need to wean you off of it before we can start you on anything else. Mm -hmm. so, so it's been a constant, you know, well, let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this until we land on something that, Hey, this works. And then it's a matter of figuring out how much you need to keep you, uh, keep you regulated. It's a fight. The whole thing is, is a struggle. The whole thing's a fight. Mm -hmm. I remember but as far um... as pharmaceuticals, 
The what now? I remember dating someone. This has been probably six or seven years ago now. And um, he was retired from the military. And um, in order to keep his benefits, he had to continuously stay on his medication and show improvement. And I'll never forget kind of seeing his behavior and learning the day-to-day routine and the structure of him. And we, we dated for a couple months long distance before he moved here. And I'll never forget going to a storage facility where he had all of his items and there were really big bins, like almost like the ones you get from Home Depot, the black bins with the yellow top. And I remember moving towards the back of the storage and we were getting all of his stuff to move here. And I remember him saying, don't touch those. Those are the one, those are like four or five bins. And I'm only five, four. So these bins were taller than me. And he said, he's like, don't touch them. And in that immediate kind of defensive response, I knew that there was something going on, but he didn't want to talk about it. And when Mm -hmm. we finally started to get the storage more and more condensed and moved and stuff, I never asked about it. And I think it's really key. Like I said, there's a difference between hearing and listening. And there's a big part of allowing anyone to come at you when they're ready to talk and discuss and not push. And I remember that day, him opening the bins. And like I said, there were probably four or five bins taller than me. They were full of bottles of medication that he would go and pick up from the VA so that they knew that he picked them up. And he would take them to a storage facility and hide them and not take them. Mm-hmm. And not take them. So that was something for me that was eye-opening of sometimes in order to keep the benefits once you have them, you still don't know who you are. You're still fighting with this inner demon of, I, and he said, he goes, I don't want to take the medicine because it makes me feel like I lose <clears throat> control of who I am. So it was eye-opening to see the kind of mechanisms that a lot of people take in order to still heal, but still keep that safety of almost like this child, like, if I don't do this, I'm going to get in trouble. And it's that, That's he- right. and it's that healing mechanism of if it doesn't work and a medication doesn't work for you, it's okay to say something doesn't work. And like I say, in the next upcoming episode, you know, your body and it's okay to sit there and state, I'm not willing to continue this. I'm not going to give it more time and more mm-hmm. time. So I think that also comes into mental health of discussing the medication aspect, because did you feel like you were just numbing the feelings or on some of them? Do you feel like you were a completely different person and like kind of lost it control? Made me, uh, medicate you and, oh, look, you're not yelling and screaming. You're not you're not causing any issues. This must be working when in reality, all it's doing is making it so it doesn't show on the outside. Mm-hmm. So, so from the outside looking at us or looking at it per se, it, it's like a paralytic. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the inside, we still hear the same things. We just can't do anything about them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, I went through the whole getting medications and not taking them. And then, um, you know, sitting on four or five, six months of medication that, that I never took, uh, I wasn't taking them. So what, what's the point in hanging on to them? And then I ended up going and seeing someone who started uh, drug testing me to make sure that I was taking my medications. And if the medications were not in my system, then they wouldn't prescribe. They would, they would stop prescribing any medication at all. 
mm-hmm. until I got uh, on bur- on board, for lack of a better way of saying it. Um, yeah, I had to go through that. And in that moment, did you almost feel like you didn't have a say in your own life? Like almost like that childlike Absolutely. feeling, I have to do this in order to be accepted in society or in relationships or just I have to do this because this is what I'm instructed to do. Absolutely. But the medicated end of things, hey, look, this is how this makes me feel. And here's something objective mm-hmm. uh, from a professional standpoint. Uh, if you are seeing the right person, and, and then then you'll get the answers you need. Because through my therapist, I learned how to talk to my psychiatrist. And I think that's why a lot of people in general give up because it's this constant frustration with yourself and these are supposed to be making us feel better it's supposed to be improving our lives and when you take things and they don't work and then it's just this constant hamster wheel that you just can't get off of of give it more time or then you start blaming yourself and getting more depressed of like is it me like this is supposed to be working what is wrong with me and I think it also causes this kind of internal struggle of you know is it worth it and then I think with a lot of people it it makes the mental health process of talking about it and wanting to better yourself as you just look at yourself as, as a failure. You don't want to continue on it if it's not working. So being that you are going through therapy and you're going through this journey, a lot of people just think, well, if you heal your brain or you heal your mind, then everything else just kind of falls into play. And that's really not true because mental health affects you physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, like you relearn who you are and love yourself again. And with the therapy. And if we have some, if we have a listener right now that might be where you were months ago, years ago, and they just feel like I'm never going to win this battle. It's an uphill. I'm never going to make it. I'm denied here. My wife doesn't understand me here. My husband doesn't understand me here. And they're listening right now, hearing your story. What advice would you give them right now of kind of the next direction or the next step to take if they feel that they're ready? Uh, Go see somebody. Then, you know, talk to someone else. Uh, but you have to be, you're, you're going to have to let your guard down at some point. Well, I thank you for being on today's podcast. Um, I can't even begin to say how much I respect and honor, not only everything that you've been through and done for our country, but also everything that you are continuing to battle and face coming home. Because once your feet land on the ground, it's a whole new reality that you have to face. So Thank you for being on and being vulnerable and telling your story because I'm sure it's going to affect so many that even listen to this. And I'm always a phone call or a text message away. And you know that, but um, like I said in this podcast, remember that there's a huge difference between hearing someone and listening to someone and take that to heart because I know with our situation and our friendship, you never know if just by listening and hearing somebody if that might be the last time. And I think that's really important because we may have all of our struggles from the day to day, but you never know what the other person's going through. So thank you for being on today. And um, we'll definitely have you back to talk about another topic coming up soon. Thank you so much for tuning in with me and spending your time hanging out. Hopefully you enjoyed today's podcast and a special thank you to all our sponsors. Make sure to check them out. If you have any tips or topics, feel free to email me at littlebitoflifecast at gmail.com or you can also reach out to me on Instagram at littlecute1az. 
you never know if your topic will be next. Be sure to join me again for another episode of Little Bit of Life. Until next time, stay positive, stay blessed.